Well, if you would, turn to Jude 17, verse 17. I have to tell you, I have enjoyed the study of this book far more than I had anticipated. I shouldn't be saying that as a Bible teacher, but uh, uh, it's, especially this section, um, I, uh, uh, this has been great. I've been up two nights almost uh, just diving into this and exploring it. There, there's some real gems today. Judah tells us, if you would, first look at verse 3. Let's just look at this. For those of you who've just joined us today, we're, we're studying this little book. We will be meeting next week, just a reminder. Uh, so uh, take note of that. So next week we will meet. That's the last of uh, our study of Jude. We'll then have a break. And if you've seen those cards for the summer study, you want to grab some of those. Take them with you. I'm excited about what we'll be doing over the summer. It's, a, uh, I think, what, five or six weeks, five weeks. And we're going to look at some difficult theological questions. I jokingly say it's the, the questions your, your pastor never wants to hear you ask. Um, we're we're going to be looking at the Bible, issues of, of how do we know what we have is true, and, and why these 66 books will deal with God and his, his omniscience and whether he truly is all-knowing. And because uh, there are many in evangelical circles that argue, no, the openness to God argues that uh, God doesn't know what human beings are going to decide. And then upon their decision, he makes his plan. Is that true? We'll deal with that. We're going to deal with uh, what does it mean to be created in the image of God and the implications there. We will deal with Christ. Is he truly the son of God? Did he become the son of God? And how do we deal with those issues? And then we'll deal with salvation. Um, all of these are uh, relevant issues, and I think uh, you only need to, to go to a Christian bookstore and you'll see a potpourri of ideas. So uh, not that we have a corner on truth, but we're going to explore that and look at some of the pros and cons as we move through. So I, I'm excited about it. Mark your calendars. And uh, if you've got young people that are home for the summer, and bring them along, because uh, these are issues that uh, I know, Adam, with, when serving at crew, uh, you're going to be dealing with a lot of these topics. There's no doubt about it. <clears throat> well, we're in Jude, and we're at verse 3. <clears throat> uh, I want to read verse 3 first, because uh, just to refresh our memories, Jude said, I was going to write a book or a letter on salvation. And he says, now I feel compelled, he says in verse 3, <clears throat> Excuse me. Instead, to write to you, encourage you to contend earnestly for the faith, because he's saying it's under attack, uh, and we, we see this progression in the New Testament. If you, if you see First uh, Peter, the false teachers on their outside, and Second Peter, they've got the foot on the threshold into the door, and by the time we get to Jude, they're in the camp. Uh, they're they're part of the group. They're part of the leadership, and we saw that especially so. Last week when we were together, and the last couple of weeks have been pretty heavy going huh? because it's very negative in a sense, isn't it? He's describing the false teachers, etc. And in verse 17, he changes course. In verse 17, he's addressing the believers, and he says, But you, dear friends, that ties back what we saw earlier in the letter. He says, You recall the predictions foretold by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That echoes verse 5. Verse 5, he said, I remind you of the things that you, you had received. So they stand on tradition. They stand on orthodoxy of the past. 
He says, you knew these things from the apostles, for they said to you, in the end time, in other words, you shouldn't be surprised, because they told you that in the end time there will be some scoffers propelled by their own ungodly desires. These people are, and again, Jude loves triads, he speaks in threes, divisive, worldly, and devoid of the Spirit. But you, dear friends, again, he repeats that line, um, in other words, the beloved is another way you could render it. By building yourselves up in your most holy faith, by praying in the Spirit, maintain yourselves in the love of God while anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that brings eternal life. And have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Have mercy on others coupled with a fear of God hating even the clothes stained by the flesh. Well, let's unpack this text. He gives three uh, overarching kind of commands in this passage. The first is to remember what you have been taught, which we're going to deal with. Then we look at how that affects their personal lives and their faith, their walk with him. And then he's going to address how you then interact with others. All right, so there's a progression here in these, just these few verses. So let's look at this. The first of these is a call to remember in verse 17. In verse 17 through 19, he says, Dear friends, recall, remember. That term is loaded. Uh, if you want an interesting study on your own, look at the biblical theology of remembrance throughout Scripture. And remembrance in Scripture is not that you can recall a phone number. All right, that's not what it's talking about. In fact, I quote from Schreiner. He states, Remembering in the scriptures does not involve mere mental recollection as when we remember a person's name that we had temporarily forgotten. Remembering means that one takes to heart the words spoken so that they are imprinted upon one's life. In other words, to recall something is, is to, to spur us on to obedience. Right? Um, the Jewish culture, even today, uh, it has a strong emphasis on remembrance, their festivals, uh, their feast. Uh, all of that's to recall God's hand in their past. It's very significant. Of course, we, we have a few of those as a country. It's one is coming up this weekend, right? Memorial Day. It's to reflect on what has happened in the past and hopefully should encourage us to, to be better citizens of this country. One wonders today, but anyway, you get the idea, right? And he says, remember, recall the predictions. And the predictions, that term, does anyone have a different rendering in your English Bible? Recall the predictions, verse 17. I'm sorry? Yeah, it's, it's actually, it's, it deals with prophecy. The prophetic word that was delivered to you, you need to recall it, he says. And notice who it's by. It's by the, those commissioned by the Lord, the apostles, which tells us that uh, the, these people have been well-trained, either directly through an apostle or through the writings of an apostle. But they know this, and the confession is clear, the Lord Jesus Christ, Right? a phrase that occurs several times in the book of Jude. And so he says, listen, 
you need to recall these things. They should not surprise you as you look at this because we, are, we, we knew this. And we know this even in 2 Peter. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. This is not foreign. This, is, this shouldn't surprise you. 2 Peter 3, 2 and 3, he says, And I want to read you to recall both the predictions foretold by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. Above all, understand this, in the last days, scoffers will come. You're saying, well, that sounds very familiar. Yes, it is. It's almost identical to what you see there in Jude. They will come being propelled by their own evil urges. And the same idea that's seen here in Jude. He says, this should not surprise you. You knew this was going to happen, that these guys are going to come. And the word in Jude, look at verse 18. He says, they will come as scoffers. The idea is an arrogant fool. Is the, the idea, one of, of great hubris. They're arrogant Remember Psalm 1? Most of you probably have this memorized, but Psalm 1 talks about the wise and the fool. How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the assembly of scoffers. I think of uh, Lot, by the way. By the time Abraham comes on the scene and the, witness, or the, the angels come, he's sitting in the city gate which means he's an official of the city, how far he's gone. That's the idea here, sitting in the assembly, sitting at the gate. You're an official. Now you're one of the leaders. Instead, he finds pleasure in obeying the Lord. Yes, Kyle. Well, and, and that's the whole problem, isn't it, with the false teachers? Uh, it's very self-serving. The whole, and we've seen this time and time again. And it's um, thwarting God's authority. And we've seen that. Jude gives us illustration from the Old Testament, right? Cain. We saw this last week. You got Balaam. You got Korah. And now you've got the false teachers. And so he says... This, none of this should surprise you. And you need to cling to orthodoxy because they're wanting to undermine it very quickly. If we don't know the, the text, how are you ever going to know a counterfeit that comes along? Right? We, we've talked about this. The FBI, when they, if you counterfeit division, you study real bills. You don't study counterfeits. If you do anything with coin collecting, you know what I'm talking about as well. Uh, you, you handle the real thing so long that when a fake comes along, you can pretty well spot it a mile away. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. There's, I can't put my finger on it, but I know it's not right. Uh, that's, that's the idea. I had a dealer in the old city show me a coin, uh, not this trip, but the last trip. I said, look what I found. Look, you know, I got this for sale. Uh, I thought, this is not real. <laughs> it, I can't, it just doesn't, doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. Uh, he was very proud of it. And I'm like, mm, that looks fake to me. So, <clears throat> he'd been happy to sell it, too, if he wanted. But uh, anyway, 
we, not, we need to know the real deal. And I'm preaching to the choir. That's why you're in a Bible study, right? One of the reasons. And he said, these people, in verse 19, he gives this description. It's very interesting. He says, first of all, they're divisive, uh, which throughout Scripture, false teachers always brought division. They upset the basket. Uh, secondly, they are worldly. That's a loaded term. They are of the natural realm. They are not of the spiritual realm. In fact, he says, they're devoid of the spirit. In other words, these are unregenerates. Yeah, they might be leading the, the communion table. Uh, they might be involved in the love feast, as we saw earlier in Jude. <clears throat> and they might be your teachers, but they are not believers. Isn't that an amazing statement? Devoid of the spirit, it's very clear. In fact, uh, one commentator wrote this in the 1800s, and I quote it here. He says, Nothing worse can be said of a man who desires to be esteemed a Christian than that he wants or lacks the Holy Spirit. You're dead in the water, right? And that's the problem. He's devoid of the Spirit. And so these guys are not <laughs> who they say they are. They're phonies. And so number one, he says, listen, you got to cling to what you know. You've been taught the traditions, the, the, the apostolic teaching, you got to cling to that. Secondly, he said, you need to uh, flan, fan the flame, so to speak, with your faith. No, he says, but dear friends, and then he gives us, there's only one imperative in the next couple verses. It's very interesting. If you were to diagram this section, the only imperative, this is the top of page two, is to remain in the love of God. All right, so the rest of the so-called imperatives that you see are participles, and they're going to hinge on this. So the means of remaining in the love is to build up, it's to pray, and it's to wait. All of that then fits. Notice what he says here, building up yourselves in the most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, and anticipating the mercy. All of those hinge on the main verb there, maintain yourselves in the love of God. Does this fit? Does this make sense? So if we were to diagram it, remaining in the love is the verb. The means of doing it are building, praying, and waiting. By the way, did you catch this? You got faith, you got love, right? The love of God, and then you have hope, anticipating what's going to occur. You also have the Trinity. You've got the Spirit, You've got God and you've got Christ in these verses. I told you, Jude loves speaking in threes. So watch that as he, he un, un, unfolds this. And I want to, this, let's look at these. First of all, is to build yourselves up. This term, uh, this idea that we're being building up our faith, and I mentioned this there in your notes. In other words, we're talking about spiritual growth. By the way, it's ongoing, isn't it? Well, often Scripture talks about we're part of this this greater structure where Christ is the cornerstone, for instance, in Ephesians. The command serves as such a contrast with those false teachers who are seeking to undermine, to destroy, and we're told to build up. And I love what Jude says, building up your, in your most holy faith. And what do we know about holiness? When you have a holy instrument or a holy temple, it's that which has been set aside for God, right? It's been, uh, this, this is for his service. In other words, that's what you're designed to be doing. 
That was the problem with Cain. That was the problem with Korah. That was the problem with Balaam. Uh, they weren't dedicated to the things of the Lord. Says, That's what you've been called to do, right? And, and so he says, build yourself up in your most holy faith. And the faith for Jude is not only the gospel, but it's the teachings you've received. Let me, let me give you an example of that. Go back to verse 1. Look at this in Jude 1. To those who are called and kept for Jesus Christ. And then in verse 3, it's the reason he wrote this whole letter. Encourage you to contend earnestly for what? The faith. There it is. This is what you're building up. You can't sit idly by. If you do, you're toast. The Christian faith is never on the defense. You've got to take the offense, right? That's true <laughs> uh, spiritually, right? If you're struggling in a particular area of sin, um, if you just think, well, the next time it comes, I'll, I'll, I'll tackle it. No, you've got to go on the offense. You've got to commit things to memory. You've got to set some parameters. You've got to create accountability. Otherwise, you're never going to slay that dragon. And that's the idea, building up your faith. <clears throat> the second thing he says is to pray in the Spirit. What a contrast with the false teachers who are devoid of the Spirit, because you need to pray in the Spirit. Now, in your notes, what does that mean, right? And I know some of my charismatic friends will mean that's praying in tongues, etc. And some charismatic uh, commentators will take that approach. I don't think that's what he's doing here. So I have there in your notes that we are to tap into the Spirit's presence and assistance. Unlike the false teachers who do not have the Spirit, we have the Spirit. And being in the Spirit is a sign of one's salvation. Romans 8 talks about this. In a little book, uh, I mentioned this on Sunday morning as well in the class I was teaching, French wrote a book called Principles and Practice of Prayer. This little book is dynamite. Principles and Practice of Prayer, I cited in your notes. He has a section about what does it mean to pray in the Spirit. <clears throat> and I, I've got four points there that I teased out of his book that I want to highlight. He says, prayer that is inspired and directed by the Spirit will always be a prayer according to the will of God. Makes sense, doesn't it? If it's directed by the Spirit, the Spirit is not going to contradict what God has intended. Secondly, it always results in an answer that will glorify Christ. This is there in your notes. The third bullet point is prayer in the Spirit will always be in harmony with the written Word of God. Makes sense, right? And prayer's guidance is prayer that complements Christ's advocacy in heaven. In other words, prayer in the Spirit is God-centered, not man-centered. So think about your prayer life. What do you pray for? Lord, help me do this. Help us in this area. See us through. Or, Lord, may you be glorified. Um, what's the motives behind my praying, right? Praying in the Spirit, it, it should comply with these four areas as one who walks in the things of the Lord, or walks in the Spirit. It's not man-centered. In fact, I have a question here for you. Oops, as we look at this, these four points. And the question is this, how does the Spirit help us in prayer? Let's just, how does He help us in prayer? Let's jot some things down. we got some, a little bit of time. 
Yeah, the spiritual man is going to have uh, the promptings uh, of the spirit. Oh, good grief, so sorry. I did what Howard Hendricks used to teach us, or I did what he told us not to do, and that was to make sure you check your markers before you start. Uh, promptings, I think it's the board. Promptings of the spirit the, that, that come, yep, what else? Yeah, there's times when we don't, remember the text talks about we don't even know how to pray. And the Spirit will overtake. Um, and I'm sure you've been in those predicaments. I don't even know how to pray for this. So Lord, you need to take this. Yeah, Doc. Yeah. Um, it's, it's nice that it, the Holy Spirit overtakes because you've got the role of the Trinity. The communion between the Father and the Holy Spirit. You know, it's an amazing thing as believers to have the dwelling of the Spirit in us, right? I think about that for a minute. The Shekinah glory dwells within us as followers of Christ. Uh, anyway, let's ponder that for a while. What else? Conviction? Yeah, there is certainly conviction, which is great. My wife isn't around all the time, so I'm glad we got the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> caution. Yeah, there's caution. Any others? Yeah, John. Yeah, there's the, there's the power and the boldness that comes uh, from the presence of the Spirit. Good. Yes. There's a surrendering of yourself. Mm, yeah. Uh, there's a dependence, uh, dying to self. Any others? Yeah, Roger. What about revelation? Revelation. Uh, there is, I'm going to put this under promptings. I've given you a, a laundry list of, of verses on page four. That's for something if you want to do on your own that tie into this, that, that lay out uh, scriptural teaching on, on how the Spirit is involved in helping us with prayer. But Jude is saying, listen, you want, you want to keep yourselves in the love of God, which we'll talk about in a minute. He says, number one, you do that by shoring up your faith growing spiritually secondly you're in tune with the things of the spirit through prayer um, and the third way in which we maintain ourselves in the love of god is by waiting now that sounds a little crazy but notice what he says while anticipating the mercy which is such a contrast with judgment on those on uh, mercy of our lord jesus christ that brings eternal life uh We've seen this before time and time again in the New Testament. Eschatology, that study of end times, drives our ethics. Green states in his commentary here on Jude, Jude reminds the church of the end so that they may live godly lives in the present. 
having a lively expectation of final consummation is not to, ex this is important, it's not so we can escape, but frames and informs life in the present age. Eschatology is important. You know, I hear people say, ah, well, that's divisive. Well, <laughs> there's a whole book that has a blessing if you read it. Uh, and it's all about the end times, right? The book of Revelation. And, and so um, eschatology is important. And if we're going to maintain ourselves in the love of God, we need to be grounding ourselves further in our faith. We need to be praying in the Spirit, and we need to be expecting the coming of our Savior in hope. Questions on this? Yeah. Mm. Humility, that's really a good point, thank you, is, is also the whole, all of this, isn't it? That's the problem with the false teachers and the accusation against them is you, you've left that domain, you're trying to usurp authority and be in charge. And no, God is in charge. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, that's excellent. Any other thoughts on this? Yeah. Uh, 1 Yeah, and that and that's what the false teachers are trying to undermine is the teachings they've received and remember we talked about this there seems to be a denial of end times events. Oh, the Lord's not really coming back. So you can do, live like you want. So you're right. I think that's, that's what's here. How do you maintain yourselves in the love of God? Doesn't God love us all that he can possibly love us? What does he mean by that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. What did Jesus state in John's in the Gospel of John? It's even red letters. Right? You abide in me, you abide in my love. The God's love hasn't altered. <laughs> the issue is that we, we wander from the camp, right? The false teachers have spit in the face of the love of God. The love of God is still there. And as a, if you know Christ as your Savior, He's loved you as He possibly could love you. That's not going to change. There will be disappointment for sin. Consequences of sin, yes. But His love does not falter. The issue is keeping ourselves... In, notice that there's an individual responsibility. Did you catch that? That's true with building. You, dear friends, by building yourselves up, you, you're ultimately responsible. You can't blame your parents or a lack of a biblical teaching from your church, you're responsible. And the same idea here of keeping yourselves in the love of God. Ultimately, it is your responsibility. And I think that's the idea. And again, that command in the midst of this, in the love of God, is hinged on those three participles. So how do we do that? He states it very clearly. Shoring up your faith, praying in the Spirit, and having a healthy expectation that the Lord's returning. Questions on that? I think that's key. Well, it's clear as matter. You 
uh, tired. I don't know. The bottom of the page. Look at this. This is uh, summarizing this whole section. It says the Christian life is viewed as having an inward look relating to the development of character, an upward look relating to communion with God, and a forward look being consumed in final glorification. Uh, that's a nice summary of this section. Well, it's not just sufficient that you are reminded of the things that you have been taught. It's not just sufficient that you build up or remain in the love of God, but you also are responsible for those around you. And that's this third phase. And in this third phase, Jude gives us, and uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, textual critics uh, struggle with this text uh, there are a whole host of readings in Greek manuscripts, and so this is probably one of the most problematic two verses in all of the New Testament. <laughs> uh, maybe that's why I was up all night the other night working through this. It is very problematic. I do believe that uh, the NIV, the New American Standard, uh, ESV, and the NET uh, are landing on the right feet, and they, that is there's, they see three groups here. Uh, and the, it's just knowing where the clauses are. It's not that big of a deal, but knowing how to, to lay this out. And it appears that there are three groups that Jude is addressing. First of all, we need to have compassion on those, he says, who waver, those who doubt. The first group appears to be individuals that are in the church who, because of the false teachers, are not sure whether they really understand orthodoxy, Right? You've, you've talked to folks, right? They, they wrestle with, well, Christ did raise from the dead, right? How do I know this is true? And so you've got this group here. Let me finish. It says that they need compassion. They, they can't make a decision. The second group that he deals with are far different. Notice it says with them, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Most scholars are in agreement. Jude is quoting Zechariah 3. I know you had your devotions there earlier this morning, uh, but Zechariah 3, right? And it's verbatim, talks about snatching them out of fire and, and careful because of the dirty clothes. It's exactly what you see here. And Jude is already quoted from Zechariah. So we know he's familiar with the prophetic book, and that's probably what's going on here. In other words, this group is already embraced much of the false teaching, and they are in grave danger of eternal judgment. And he says, you need to snatch them, which it tells us what? When you say snatch, what are you thinking? Quick, right? My daughter jumped in the pool when she was two, and I went in and I snatched her out, forgetting that I had my cell phone in my pocket. But anyway, uh, that's a whole other story. Um, yeah, you, you, you go, you move quick. And this is the idea for those of us in the church, right? As believers, followers of Christ, when we see someone that, that, that's going down the wrong path, is you need to move quickly. I mentioned there in your notes, errant members should not be dismissed. I know a lot of groups are like, well, they, they bought into that stuff, it's too bad. That's not a biblical response. You got to go after them. Right? And I, I wrote there in your notes under that second bullet point, love for others is never convenient or easy, is it? It's messy. 
And unfortunately, sin is never compartmentalized. Just look at James 5. The elders have to get involved because the guy possibly is in sin. It's, it's never compartmentalized. It is messy. And it, it takes time. It takes resources. It's much more convenient to say, ah, well, they're gone. You know, remove their name from the church membership role. And that, that's not an option. But a third group, which many scholars believe now we're dealing with the false teachers, these you got to have pity on, but notice what it says, mercy on others coupled with the fear of God. Careful, they're dangerous. They're radioactive. You still have mercy on them. And and in fact, it says, hating even the clothes stained by the flesh. Uh, That is not hating the person who wears the clothes, by the way. And the, this idea is the inner garment. It's been stained. Actually, the text is clear. We're dealing with um, poo-poo, right? We're, we're dealing with underwear that's got a brown streak in it, right? That's what he's dealing with, right? Uh, the whitey tidy is no longer white. That's the idea. He said, you should hate that. Hate their sin, but not the person. Uh, but be very careful. And I, I mentioned this there in the, the third bullet point. The zeal to win these folks for Christ requires great wisdom. Compassion can easily give way to compromise. I see it happen frequently. Careful. And we are ex- to exhort and encourage we're not to become enmeshed. There's some healthy boundaries in ministering to those. And I think this third group are those that are not uh, of the fold. You could argue the first two groups are believers. The third group appears that they are not. And he's saying, be very, very careful as you interact with this group. They are to have mercy, just as God is showing you mercy. In fact, mercy is mentioned three times in these verses. He says, be very careful. Questions on, on this? Again, there could be an overlap with these groups. I understand that. Um, yes. Well, double-minded could f- fall in one or two here. And, and we have a responsibility. James 5 brings out the same idea, right? We pray for one another. We confess our sins. But we rally around those that are hurting, physically, emotionally, whatever. Any other questions? <clears throat> well, it's a lot to think about, isn't it? As, as followers of Christ, being members of the church... How do we handle those that, that, that uh, embrace false teaching? How do we embrace those or uh, show love without being tainted by it? And it is precarious and it is difficult. And some groups, you know, they're double separationists. Well, we won't associate with you because you associate with them. Um, you know, I grew up in a, that kind of environment. And uh, that's one way to approach it. Another is just to let everything, you know, anything goes, right? We're all in this together. We all love Jesus. And, and Jude's saying, be very careful. Well, there's three things to walk with here as we look at this. Number one, we, we must, oops, we must be aware. This is there in your notes. We must be aware of what uh, is being taught in our pulpits, in our Christian schools and colleges, in our seminaries. I would argue one, one of Satan's greatest tools can be Christian schools and colleges, Christian colleges. 
it can be one of the most dangerous spots because it's so subtle. I've, I've had former students go on to seminaries and shipwreck. Now, some of those signs were very evident early on because <laughs> they were more infatuated with their own ideas rather than what the scriptures teach, and tradition was a bad word. But they're good. These teachers are really good. They know exactly how to say it so it sounds so tantalizing, and yet there's this undertow that's there. Remember the false teachers, what Jude says, they're very subtle. Be very careful. And so we as uh, long ago, seminaries and Bible colleges and, and universities were accountable to the churches. We don't have that as much anymore. And I think there's some danger there. So as followers of Christ, leaders in our churches, local churches, uh, we need to be cognizant of what's going on. What are they teaching at Wheaton? What are they teaching at Taylor? What are they teaching at Cedarville? You list it on. And these schools do need to be held accountable. We need to be careful. There's a place for them. Uh, even Christian, like heritage, Christian schools in our area, Traders Point, but also our pulpits. And Second Timothy has much to say about that. It's one of the greatest, it can be one of the greatest blessings. It can also be one of the greatest dangers. And, and so careful. Secondly, showing mercy to others requires time, energy, and resources. We talked about this. You know that. But we, we have a responsibility, don't we? And at times that can be so frustrating. I've got better things to do. And I'm dealing with this yahoo that keeps messing up and thinking he's this and this. And like, but that's our responsibility. Um, and then third, we must always be aware of the danger of sin and never presume that we are immune from false teaching. It's easy to read this text and think, oh, that was their problem 2,000 years ago. Well, it plagues the church even today. And we do need to be careful. Luke 21 talks about this. So those are three thoughts that I, as I, we kind of wrap up this section and, and think of the book of Jude. Um, we live in crazy days. <laughs> and uh, Satan hasn't changed his tactic because at the end of the day, he doesn't want this. He loves pride because... He wants for all of us to see ourselves as God and question God's authority. That's the bottom line, isn't it? And we are to remain in the love of God. How? Strengthening our faith, praying in the Spirit, and understanding there's a day coming, right? The hope that lies with it. Next week, I'm very excited because the last two verses of this book are gems. <laughs> And you may have often had them recited at the end of a closing of a service, this benediction. But it is very powerful. And it fits so well with the epistle. So I hope you can make it next week as we kind of unpack those last two verses of this letter. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed our study of this book. Uh, it's been rich. Well, Tom Flynn, can I pray for us? And then I'll, I'll let you do your little ditty. All right. All right, Lord, we thank you for your word. These, these are um, heavy instructions in many ways. And uh, one way we can distance ourselves and say, ah, this doesn't pertain to us, but it does. We only need to look at the landscape of 
evangelicalism in this country and, and see many who are, um, are struggling uh, with doubt and wavering in their faith. There are others who have um, clearly embraced a Christianity that is self-serving that is rooted in arrogance because there's an unwillingness to submit to you. And Father, it's a reminder that we need to be seeing the world through your lens. Help us to show mercy, to be gracious. Lord, as we help others cling to that which was based on the prophets and the apostles, help us to remain in your love, that we abide in you. Your son is the vine and we are the branches. Thank you for allowing us to be those branches, to show Christ, your son. Father, be with these men this week. Guide them. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.